Coast Church Charlotte. Let's go ahead and, and get started. Um, I'm going to, uh, we're, we're at five minutes here, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to um, take care of the few items I need to take care of where I turn off everybody's microphones. And I can't turn off everybody's microphones in the saints room. So I'll need you guys to turn off your microphones in the saints room. Back here in the center's room, I can turn off your microphones. And so, uh, yes, keep those centers silent. All right, so we got 23 and 19 at the moment. Sister Audrey, good to see you, my sister. We, we prayed for you this morning in, in prayer. We had prayer at 630 this morning. And I don't, I don't know if you were in there or not, but uh, we prayed for you and uh, glad to see, glad to see all of you uh, here. I have been prompted by a rather uh, troublesome and disturbing question last week uh, that is filled with naught, trouble, sorrow, and suffering. Uh, this question is about Christian dating. Um, what does it mean for Christians to date? And this does not apply to all of you. Many of you are married and you are not, or you better not be thinking about dating uh, because that would be problematical and not allowed. And so I, however, I do think this is a very, very important subject that we all need to we all need to be able to talk about because there are more single people uh, in our harvest field than there is married people in our harvest field. And so there is a lot of opportunity to, to say the right thing to people in a manner that does not leave them without hope. Um, there, there are tremendous challenges in this subject. And if the Lord will help me, I'm going to try to do them justice and be fair to those difficulties. And at the same time, I want to leave people with a sense of hope because we do have a lot of single uh, believers in our church and they are, they, they have just as much right to happiness as those of us who have found a life partner um, and made our made our life better by finding a spouse. I am not saying that it always makes your life better. I'm just saying that if when it's good, it's very good. And the flip side of that is when it's bad, dearly beloved, it is very bad. All right. So I want to, first of all, let you all um, have a quick overview of the subject. And then I want you, if you can, if you, if you will, I want you to see the opportunity for us to grow uh, with maturity in a difficult subject. In other words, there's more than just an answer on this subject. There's also lessons of how to approach difficult subjects and how to grow in our understanding. That's number one. Number two, uh, there are many pastors who would take a much more decisive response to this and simply tell you tell single people not to date uh, any 
anybody who is not at a certain pastoral approved standard of righteousness. Um, I am sympathetic to that. Uh, as a pastor, it sure it certainly makes your life. It certainly is reassuring if you just can manage people by remote and they actually tell you, do what you tell them to do. Um, but I, I want to say this. Uh, there's a lot of subjects on the Bible, in the Bible, that are not given to us with um, a binary answer. In other words, it's not yes or no. There's a lot of subjects that the Bible gives to us with respect to moderation with respect to um, care and caution. Um, typically, the more zealous the church, the more they make an absolute out of something that's given to us as a moderation or a warning. Um, that's not wrong. It's meant well. Uh, people mean well when they give you a formulaic absolute on a subject that was not is not presented that way in the Bible. Uh, the elders that do it, the pastors that do it, uh, are trying to um, minimize the risk of the people following them, um, and they are they are doing that by simply telling uh, single people not to date. Um, I want again to say how sympathetic I am. I am sympathetic to that approach. Um, however, I don't know. I know that it makes the preacher's life better, the pastor's life better, but I'm not always sure it makes the single person's life uh, better. Um, and so I'm going to try to take the risky path, which will get me yelled at by both sides. I will have the people who want me to be more conservative mad at me, and I will have the people who want me to be more liberal mad at me. And for me, that's a common experience. Um, I've had unique experiences where on the same day I got calls from two different people. One person was leaving the church because we were too liberal. Another, the other church person was leaving because we were too conservative. Um, such is, such is, um, the, the life of a pastor. Um, and that's, that's fine. Uh, it's, it's even good. So I'm, I'm hedging my bets here, but I'm going to stop and I'm just going to get started. The number one reason why dating is problematic in the New Testament church is dating is an invention of the modern world and never happened anywhere in the Old Testament, anywhere in the New Testament. That's the first thing we, as serious Bible students, we have to confess and acknowledge. It is an invention of the modern world for single adults to date to see who they like and who they prefer. That is not the manner of the Old Testament, and it's not the manner of the New Testament. Marriages for most of human history were arranged between families, and if you got a good wife or husband, you had a good life. If you got a bad wife or husband, then you became a philosopher, as Socrates famously said. Um, for the vast majority of human history, dating was not a thing. Parents did not trust their children's affection and heart. They thought the worst possible thing you could do was to allow, <laughs> to allow a young person to follow their heart. To almost all of human history, that sounded like, as I said with my little people, an absolute jadaster. 
waiting to happen. Um, young people are not known for making wise decisions following their heart. They're known for making passionate decisions that seemed like a great idea and yet accomplished very little for the bettering of their life. Now, this is just the perspective of all grumpy, curmudgeonly old people. Uh, history has marched on. I think all churches need to have a sense of history without being the slave of history. We must be, have a sense of it because we are called to rightly serve our generation and we cannot reach our generation by being the best of the 70s. Um, it can reassure us older people, but we have an obligation to this generation, not to our grandparents or our parents' generation. They had an obligation to do their absolute best in their time. We have an obligation to do our best in this time. And during that time, the word of God has not changed. And the why, the missional why of the church has not changed. The needs of the human heart has not changed. But the societal soup in which we all live has changed drastically. We have this new thing, postmodern thing, called dating. And there is almost uh, uh, no scripture that is easily applied to this. I did not say there's no scripture applied to this. I said there is no scripture that is easily applied to this. Why? They didn't date. Parents arranged. Um, uh, people who had authority, like say, say you were a widow and lost your husband, even then you would not have total and complete control over your decisions. Even then, if you were uh, an adult widow, there usually would be a family member, uh, a sibling who represented your interests to the world. And people would not come and date you. Uh, they would make an approach to whoever your near kinsman was. Um, so, without getting into the weeds of all of that, I want to re-emphasize this point. The reason why it's difficult is dating is an invention and a cultural innovation or cultural curse, depending on whether or not you are recently broke up or not, um, of the modern world. And so, however, that said, um, there are two passages of Scripture that gives us insight into what is an ideal path in terms of the Christian who wants to please God. Before I give you those two scriptures, I want you to, well, no, let me give you the scriptures and then I'm going to give you another consideration because our goal is not to create formula whereby we regulate, regulate other people's lives. That's usually what zealous religious hearts do. We want to create, reassure a formula that is repressive on others and reassuring for us. We want to control them and make our self feel good. This is the path of all human zeal. Um, this is not new. It's as old as the story of the Pharisees and even before that. Um, so I want to give you these scriptures. The first is a directive that is given to um, by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth concerning widows. This is not about dating. 
This is about widows. And there is a clear, this is chapter seven, verse number, uh, verse number 39. There is this uh, clear direction that we should not marry. Well, let me just read it. This is the ESV version. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Uh, now, if that was the end of the matter, we just would stop reading and that would be the end of the matter. But remember, our goal is to resist the urge to create a doctrine that is controlling on others and reassuring to us. Um, so let's, that's verse 39. If you back up to verse 36, Paul's subject, the larger context is about the opportunity a single person has to live holy to the Lord. Um, they live holy unto the Lord. Um, they choose to not have a commitment in a marriage type relationship, but to live holy, a life completely. When I say holy, I'm using W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y, holy unto the Lord. So he is advising them to do that. And he's telling them, uh, even man or woman, there there is a spiritual advantage to living holy unto the Lord. Then he says, kind of rounding the subject up, verse 39, uh, that a widow would be free to marry, but only in the Lord. And then notice verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Paul saying, life is better single. Let me say this. For some people, that is absolutely the truth. Life is better single. Some of you guys do not need to get married because you're crazy. <laughs> And either don't get married or you got to find somebody's crazy who matches your crazy. <laughs> so uh, that's Paul saying that's that his. But is he speaking as of oracle of the Lord or is he given pastoral advice in time? Notice the second half of verse 40. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying that when you started writing this, you um, you were sure you had the Holy Ghost, but now as you're writing, you're not sure you have the Holy Ghost? Paul, are you thinking that maybe you're backslidden and still trying to pastor and you're not sure if you have the Spirit of God? Paul, what are you saying? Never in my 30 years of church and my 30 years of Bible study and evangelistic and pastoral care have I ever heard a pastor point out Paul's concluding statement when they read this passage. They always end it when they say only in the Lord, because remember for a pastor, that's what we want you to do. It makes life easier. Your temptation goes down. The influence of other people have on your, your, your uh, go down. Now I made a vow before the Lord that I would not, I would not just take a scripture and add what I think to it, but I would, I would try to be honest to the scripture that has put me in some awkward situations, but it helps me sleep at night. I am not, my voice is not in the canon. I don't get to just make scripture. I, I don't believe in the pastoral role where I just can say it and, and God, God, whatever I say, and I can control people. That's not my path. That's not, I can't sleep at night doing that. I feel like a con man and a borderline crook doing that. 
That said, there are pastors who can do it and actually feel better when they do it. They are not bad people. They are working in their, um, the uniqueness of their soul, spirit, and tool set. If that's what you need, they are out there. In fact, I could help you find them. They will be glad telling you everything you need to know, and that's it. Bless God. And if you need that to be saved, I want you to know I'm going to be a big disappointment to you. I cannot do it. I feel convicted if I speak beyond the word of God personally. For example, there are three times in the Bible where we are warned not to take away from anything in the word of God. And there's four times in the Bible we're warned not to add to anything in the word of God. Now, to be fair, my whole life, I've heard them, I've heard preachers who are emotionally invested in the strong pastor. And I'm sympathetic. You sleep better at night when you just can tell people. I've always heard preached against and warned not to take away from the scripture. And there's three times the Bible does that. I've never once heard one of the pastors who were invested in this strong pastor theory um, ever talk about the warning, the forewarnings against adding to the scripture. So my take on verse number 40 is that Paul's given a lot of difficult advice about marriage, about whether to be married or single, what's the best path. Um, And he ends it, he sums it up. He ends the subject by saying this. I I, I think I have the direction of the spirit on this. He does not say, he does not give a statement of clarity. He gives this kind of, I think I have the spirit of the Lord on this now. Do I not, do I want to ignore it because of that? Absolutely not. I do not want to ignore it. I want to invite everyone who has the self-discipline of mind and the maturity of spirit to follow this advice. I do. However, I don't want to run off weak ones and require it. Not everyone can get to this standard. Not everybody can have this whole uh, single unto the Lord. We actually have more advice from Paul on staying single than we do on, you know, uh, dating an unbeliever. So it creates this, and, and we've all decided to kind of, you know, let Paul be unique in that because the other disciples didn't do it. Uh, Jesus did, but he was going to a cross. Um, so, Uh, There is a wrestling with the scripture that reveals our heart and our spirit. And what you have to care about and what I have to care about is taking my spirit, my soul, my mind to the word of God and saying, Lord, I need understanding. I need direction. I need humility of heart. Show me your way. And while I do that, I can't create a law culture for others who aren't currently as mature as me. I have to see the good in flawed people. And so I want to have a high goal, but I also want to have a grace culture. So let me continue. What is sin? Uh, A formal definition of sin going to the study of the word is is literally to miss the mark. It's to miss the mark. Um, It's not like some... uh, pet peeve that when I do that, then I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner or some great evil. When I do that, then I'm a sinner. Yes. But it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. And it's more subtle 
than that. Now, a lot of church people don't like uh, the, the the subtleness of it um, because, again, what they they want three parts of reassurance, uh, you know, and one part everything else. Um, there's a subtleness to it. If the standard of sin is to miss the mark, first of all, all of us are sinners. Now, I'm comfortable with that because I want to be a repenter. <laughs> I want every day to repent. Um, not everyone's comfortable with that. Um, uh, some people will, they will get in a fight with you before they'll admit that they, 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 they have missed the mark or they're a sinner. They'll, they'll, they'll have to couch it in words like I may have sinned because it's painful to them. And they'll, they'll find a scripture that usually written by Paul uh, expressing the power of the Holy Spirit to explain why, uh, how they, if they were, if you have the Holy Spirit, then there's no more sin in your life. Uh, okay, um, I, I hear you, but I'm saying if you consider the definition of sin, um, what you're saying is that I'm capable of missing the mark. Well, if that's the standard, I miss the mark. I mean, there were 25 of you in prayer this morning. Where were the rest of you? You missed the mark. We prayed 45 minutes this morning instead of an hour and 15 minutes. We missed the mark. Do you see how it never ends? It never ends. We have to do justice hard on ourselves and love mercy, kind to other people, do you see? And so this whole issue of missing the mark uh, comes down to some challenges um, that, that we want to be honest about and some difficulty that we want to be honest about in dating because dating is something that is new in the history of humanity. So the other passage, um, I'm going to have to be careful. This I need to leave time for questions. Uh, the other passage on this is this issue of not to be unequally yoked with um, others. This is a farming image. This is 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. I'm reading again in ESV. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. So um, again, so often in the scripture, the, it's given to us and it's, it's not as simple as a rule I get to beat other people over the head with because scholars look at this passage and yes, it can apply to dating, but Actually, in the context, it seems to be applying to business partnerships in the context. And then why does he say unequally yoked? It's not like the translators added that. Paul did not say, don't be yoked with unbelievers. He said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, which there's two ways to translate. Um, again, I'm just trying to be true to the word of God. I'm not trying to... Um, complexify. Paul's the one who chose to say unequally yoked together when it would have been simpler, simpler for all of us for him simply to say yoked together. Um, so there's the way I prefer to translate it, which is to refer to the differences between the believer and the unbeliever and look at those differences as an unequal pairing, like the images from uh, yoking together different sized, uh, say, oxen. Uh, where uh, because they're unequal, um, they cannot work in a healthy way together uh, 
causes all sorts of problems. Um, what are some of the problems that happen when we are uh, trying, when we yoke ourselves with people who do not share our our values, there are problems. And this is why I, this is my way of inter of my preferred method of understanding Paul's statement, don't to be unequally yoked together. Um, we know from Matthew 6 and Ephesians 2 that the believer and the unbeliever has opposing masters, different masters. We know Colossians chapter number two, you, there's opposing worldviews. We know from Proverbs chapter number one, that there are different sources of wisdom between the the follower of God and the unbeliever. We know from Matthew 25 that there are opposite and different eternal destinies. We know from Romans chapter number eight that one of them is striving to do life in the spirit. One of them is not even trying, therefore doing life in the flesh. Uh, Romans six talks about the believer becomes a slave to righteousness um, and the unbeliever is a slave to sin. Uh, again, in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4, there's this language from the apostle on what the believer is led by the spirit. The unbeliever is led by the God of this world or the lust of their own belly, to use that, uh, that language. And finally, Ephesians chapter number two, uh, one of them is striving to, to live a life that is alive to Christ. The other is living a life dead that is, that is dead in sin, not dead to sin. And so I think of the unequal yoke, and I use this to discourage people from dating unbelievers. I do not give people ultimatums that tell them not to date unbelievers. Uh, I am not the master of anyone, and I do not comport myself or pastor as though I'm a master to anyone. I am a shepherd at best, leading sheep. I am not a cowboy driving cattle. Uh, that's my statement of ministerial style. I discourage people from dating unbelievers uh, and I divide it into three categories. Um, and this is my interpretation of scripture, and then we'll try to finish up and maybe take some questions because these won't be hard questions, not at all. These will be easy. Um, so number one, ideally, you would date believers, but even believers are at different levels of maturity. They're at different places of their spiritual becoming. Even believers have different levels of commitment and different levels of zeal. So what standard whereby are we going to judge? Are you only going to date people who show up in our early morning prayer? Are you only going to date people who are at a certain level of spiritual maturity and they've been saved and, uh, and attained? Are you only going to date people who have a religious degree? Even believers are at tremendous remove, oftentimes one, for another, one from another. However, they are united in that they're both trying. That matters. That is big. And so ideally, you would find a believer who has this in common with you. They reverence God, they reverence the scripture, and whatever their individual abilities, perceptions, trials, troubles are, they're trying to get it right. They're at least 
trying. That's category number one. Category number two is the person um, who does not share your particular inheritance or choice of theological recipe, but they believe in Jesus Christ. This is very common where people date cross-denominational lines. This can cause problems. And this is very scary for pastors because we are afraid, and I'll just lump myself in with others, that um, the spouse will be wooed away from what we perceive as right interpretation of Scripture. And if they marry somebody who isn't at the same, um, eating at the same theological kitchen, uh, that they are they're they they're in the same categories and as an unbeliever i often hear pastors well let me restate that i have heard pastors say they would rather have someone in their church date an un, uh, uh, unbeliever who has no faith whatsoever um than date somebody who is of a different theological uh, uh style doctrine inheritance um i don't know that i have a preference myself because i've seen both work and i've seen both fail now i'm not supposed to tell you that i'm just supposed to tell you this um but um i i feel like i would not want that done for me so let me do for you what i would want done for me there are examples in our church of married couples who have different theological backgrounds. They both respect Jesus Christ as Lord, as King, as Savior. They both respect um, churches as, how shall we say, as uh, sincere bodies of Christ, striving to make his mission known by the life choices they make. That's what all churches do. Um, we all strive to make God's mission known by our life choices and our integration in our communities, our neighborhoods, and our cities. So in our church, we have examples of people who are both believers, but not of the same theological background. In fact, some of you in the room represent that. And I've met your spouses and I have deep affection for them. Do I wish they were closer to us theologically? Well, sure. But I can see their good heart. And uh, I am quite comfortable leaving in them in the hands of God because I am unqualified to judge them. I don't want to judge them. I want to leave them with God. But I respect them and I see their good heart, even if I have differences of theological preference and interpretation. Um, all right, continuing along. The third category is you're a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever. Um, I want to say this. I've seen this work too. Um, there are people in our church that are living this out. Some of you in this room are living this out. I would say this as a warning. If you're dating someone and you can, you sense 
contempt, a, a mocking, dismissive contempt for your faith, please, in that relationship, please. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to order you. I'm not going to chase you down and tie you up. I'm appealing to you. If you are in a dating relationship and you detect contempt from a person for your faith, I promise you there is a deep problem there and you will not dodge it. You will not. It will come back to haunt you. And I would rather you take the short-term pain now of saying, I am not going to be yoked together with someone who cannot respect my faith, the one who died for my sins. Um, my preference for anyone would be to find someone who shares your faith. But I also am aware of how many single adults are trying to serve God. Um, I want to be fair to them, to all of you single adults who are striving to serve God. I want to be fair to you. I want to see your good heart. Um, the truth is, many of us were joined together with a life partner who has made our lives better in all regards. Um, our, I am spiritually richer because I am married to my wife. Now, I know the Apostle Paul would probably get grumpy at that, and um, I'll let him correct me if I make it to heaven. Um, but I just want to say, if it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't make it to heaven so he could correct me. <laughs> no, I can't hear y'all laughing, but that's funny, so I don't care what anybody else says. Um, if, I don't, if I don't make it, if I, I, my life is richer because of uh, marriage. If there were people, if I had ever met any single people, maybe one or two, who stayed single as a choice and dedicated themselves to whole 100% um, kingdom of God, uh, I, would, I, I would be as strong on that as the Apostle Paul was. Um, Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this to a persecuted church. And the number one way that a persecutor could threaten a believer, not to threaten necessarily him or her, but to threaten the people they loved. And so you might understand some of the uniqueness of Paul's circumstance, where he warns them in a persecuted church where Many of the people he's writing to are going to be burned alive, slain with the sword, fed to wild beasts. You might understand why they operated that way. Do you see? You also might understand why the New, why the New Testament church had all things in common in that time of persecution. When you're trying to survive, it changes. It changes so much. But the same Bible teacher who often will explain away why we don't have all things in common will make a formula out of Paul's warning against dating. Although I think it is the same thing. Let me talk real quick about a, something called missional dating. What is missional dating? This is the idea that you can date an unbeliever and win them to Christ. Do I know of situations? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know of situations where missional dating worked. 
you, someone was one to faith through a dating relationship. I had a friend of mine, I guess we're still friends, although we're not talking as much, is um, he, he could not keep himself pure, um, but he won all the women that he had uh, immoral relationships with to God. Um, I don't know if they kept having immoral relationships, but I know I pastored him for a while. Um, he would get into an immoral relationship with a woman. They would be living together, or they might as well have been living together if you read between the lines. And I knew that, but he would win them to God. And then he would break up with them. And uh, it would be a disaster. Um, I didn't have to get involved in too much, but I know some pastors who did. Um, this happened repeatedly. Um, uh, this idea of winning someone while dating them, could it, has it worked in some situations? It's still a risky idea. Um, uh, does it, will it work going forward? It, it probably will in some situations. It, it's a risky idea because what you're doing is you're trying to use, let's be honest, we get in these relationships because we are dealing with lusts of the flesh and we're also lonely. And we're also wanting to be uh, with others. But uh, that biggest first thing is we are dealing with lusts of the flesh. Now, if you don't think that's a thing or you think that I'm not being uh, fair to it, I want to remind you why Paul said it, you should get married. Because Paul said it's better to marry than what? Than what? Than burn Let's be honest that attraction in the human context has very much a lust of the flesh, a satiation of the flesh. Um, and so we're going to go, we're going to go into the lion's den of temptation of lust of the flesh and don't act like you're special. You'll be sitting in that dark car and you'll be saying, no, I like you more. And she'll be saying, no, I like you more. And no, I like you more. And then, I, don't act special. You're not special. You can deceive yourself, but other people, it, it's going to be harder. You're taking yourself into the lion's den of fleshly temptation. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you about Jesus. So has it worked? Yes. I know, I know pastors who won their wives. Um, I don't know what their dating looked like. I'm going to let that be with them, between them and their master. They have a master. They don't need me to be their master. Um, I know people in our church that have won uh, people to God. In fact, there's people in this room that you came to God in a, a dating relationship. Um, so let me say it this way. I'm not unsympathetic. I'm not. And I certainly won't say it's wrong, but I will say much care, <laughs> much care needs to be uh, employed. Um, because dating is its own set of temptations and dating is its own set of challenges. So um, I want to very quickly, uh, let me review my notes real quick and see if there is um, anything else I say before I completely open up to questions. Those of you in the uh, other room, um, it. I don't know if text is working in the other room. I can't see any text. Yeah, I see text uh, possible in both rooms. So I'm going to flip back and forth and try to, okay, I see some good questions here. So let me, before I get into the questions, let me deal with the two common objections. Remember my position. 
Ideally, I want you to date people that share your faith, your values. I am sympathetic to the loneliness and the desire to be with other people uh, or be with some special one, I should say. I am sympathetic to the isolation of soul, um, the loneliness of spirit and mind. That's all real and true. I'm sympathetic. Um, but I want to, I want to, I want to say you will never be treated like a second class citizen for dating another Christian who is not of our church specifically. Um, but I will place a warning that that can be troublesome. And I'm going to ask you by the mercies of God, the moment you feel a mocking, contemptuous review of your faith and the one who died for your sins, if you don't in that moment choose your savior over your boyfriend or girlfriend, shame on you and you deserve the trouble you're going to get. Well, that's a terrible thing to say. Makes me sad to say we, we just have so few opportunities to suffer for the Lord. I think that is an, an honorable one. If someone has a contemptuous view of your faith, you need to say, I, I am not going, I'm not going down to that path. And finally, the third thing is if you are dating an unbeliever, we are not going to discipline you in the church. We are not going to kick you out of the church. We're going to believe that you're doing your best and that you are dating this person. I'm not going to ask you to break up with them. I'm going to give you a strong caution that there are elements in your future that are going to be harder, more difficult, with less spiritual flourishing. However, I love you. I'm sympathetic to your desire to have a, a life uh, partner. Um, I'm sympathetic to your desire um, to, I just, I, I want to give you a, a, a warning. And again, I want to ask you this. If you ever have a sense that that person you're dating has a contemptuous, dismissive, hostile relationship toward your faith, please choose your savior over your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I think that is, I know I'm saying that strong, but I'm, I'm telling you, that's where I think it, you have to draw the line. And I would encourage you to do it sooner rather than later, where you stand up on in your own spirit and you say, look, I just want to tell you right now, this relationship's going nowhere. If you can at least respect the life I am striving to live. And if you won't stand up for yourself, you are in a dysfunctional need relationship where that person is an idol to you and you are serving them and not God. So in any relationship, if it comes down to them or serving God, you need to choose God and your purpose, your calling, your mission over them. In fact, I would say this, if you have friendships in your life where they are always critiquing, criticizing what you're trying to do for God. They're always critiquing, criticizing your church. They're always critiquing and criticizing your brothers and your sisters. You are not flourishing in that environment. Please have the gumption of spirit to choose your savior, your mission, your brothers and sisters, your church over that nattering nabob of negativity. <laughs> um, choose your church, your mission, your calling 
over the critic who is heaping contempt on your source of life and joy. Uh, and so, all right, two typical objections to this. Number one, my situation is unique. You probably already know what I think about that. No, it's not. It just feels unique and you need an excuse. So that's the one that's the easiest to grab. That's what I think. That's what I feel. I love you. I'll give you a COVID kiss as soon as possible, but that's what I think and feel. There's no unique situations. Um, if you're in a relationship where you are getting a contempt, um, uh, you need to get out of that relationship. Uh, if you are in a relationship where they don't share faith, you need to consider getting out of that relationship. Um, I will not force your hand. I just want you to be aware of the risks that are involved. Um, and the, the second one is this. The second most common objection I hear on this subject is if I break up with my unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend, they will not have any other Christian influence in their life. To which I want to answer, a lot of times I don't have the courage because I, I, I have sympathy for the people I'm talking to. I, I want to say to them, I, I'm not sure they have a Christian influence in their life now. Because what you're doing is dating them and valuing them over your faith, your church, your calling, and your mission. So the idea that you are a Christian influence in their life is probably flawed. You probably would do better to stand up with some backbone. Okay, moving to questions. All righty. Uh, Lord, if, if these questions open a, 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 a whole another can of worms, I just want you to know I'm quitting. I'm just going to leave and I'm just going to open the Bible up in front of the microphone and I'm going to start hitting the microphone like that with the Bible. All right. Does unequally yoked mean a believer versus non-believers? Can it also mean seasoned believer versus new believer? Um, that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, had, you, had, you, you had to go subtle, didn't you? Um, so my answer is I do believe that we have to hold the scripture with a certain um, wisdom. Um, otherwise, the Bible would not teach us to pray for wisdom. Um, so I do think there are there is a profound danger of unequal yokes in almost every venue. I, I deeply believe that. Um, I think what results from unequal yokes is domination. And whenever there is domination, it is a toxic culture in which to grow new life in. And so I do think all yokings that we would have, whether business, whether marriage, whether living together, uh, and I'm not talking about that's okay. I'm talking about roommates. You're not dating. Don't, don't be, oh Lord, I just can see right now going all across the, no, I'm talking about you're doing life together. Um, I'm not talking about shacked up, you know. Um, uh, any yoking, there needs to be, if you want to be wise, there needs to be a, an evenness to it, not a domination to it. People who are dominated by something are unable to be dominated by the spirit. And anything that dominates you is competing for the lordship in your life. I wish more people understood that. Anything dominating you is competing for lordship in your life. We should be able to place God first, 
Absolutely. Having said that, however, I think that maybe I need to call the attorneys and maybe get a get call the divorce attorneys because I think the way my wife dominates me, um, I think that would be uh, perhaps uh, she's competing for the lordship in my life. Anyway, that's funny. I don't care what you'll say. All right, all right. Don never asks any hard questions. Perhaps you have. Uh, some church leaders have said that in theologically diverse debating relationships, it's more common that the unbeliever will pull the believer out of the church as opposed to the other way around. Have you found that is worth the, worth the risk? I have not found um, in my experience that the unbeliever pulls the believer away from faith. What I have found is the unbeliever pulls the believer away from commitment. They don't lose their faith. They just turn into people who come to church 1.5 times a month. They keep their faith. They just lose their mission, their investment in the kingdom of God. Um, that's, that's my take on it. I do not want to say anything is worth the risk or not worth the risk because people are individuals. And uh, uh, it would be another way of making a difficult decision that should be approached prayerfully into a formula that we can cut through a lot of uh, individuals. Um, yeah, that's another good question. Does sharing your faith and values also mean that they need to be apostolic and Pentecostal? Let me be clear. If you follow my advice, you will date other people who share your apostolic values, inheritance, and future. That's my advice. But that's easy for me to say. I'm married to a beautiful woman. That's easy for me to say. I've already found mine. And I know young people who they have gone to every conference they can go to and it's not happening for them. And so am I going to put them in a situation where they have to be kicked out of the church to be true to that longing they have to date? My preference, my choice is for you to date inside, not just the house of faith, but inside the apostolic house of faith. That's my preference. Please, please. However, those of you who, that it's not working out for you, I'm not going to make an enemy out of you. I'm going to choose to see the good in you. And I'm going to be there in the ups and downs of that process. When you're crying, I'm going to let you cry on my shoulder. I'm going to try to pick you up. When you're ready to marry a guy you just met last week, I'm, I'm going to try to pull you down. I'm going to try to get you to, you know, raise, grow, grow some brain cells, calm down. Um, so, you know, that's my wife winced. I'm, that must have been a, you see how even when I'm teaching, I stare her like a, like a bird dog stares at his master. So anyway, um, and the only thing I would strongly, strongly advise against is dating someone who shares no faith. They have no faith in Jesus Christ, therefore no respect. Um, even there, I am not your enemy. I, I'm sympathetic. My heart is filled with respect <clears throat> for the single people in our church who are striving to serve the Lord. And I want to say many of the married people who say harsh things about singles dating in the church, they didn't even serve God when they were single. Oh, but they love talking bad about singles now. Number one. Number two, there is... Nothing more humorous to me than watching old married couples who can't stop eating dessert tell single young believers 
that they shouldn't date. Now, I know that's a strange way, way to look at it, but here you have people, they can't even stop eating sugar, but they're going to tell young people in college that you have to, you just have to stay shut up and um, have no social life, no friends. I want to warn you, and I'm going to be here for you when it goes good. I'm going to be here for you when it goes bad. But please, if you want to follow my direction, don't open your heart to people who at the bare minimum share your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ideally, please always give God a chance to connect you with other believers, because this is what I know. When you're connected to somebody who shares your faith, it is as though your spiritual potential multiplies and you will be more effective than you ever have been. Um, let me move along here because uh, Pastor Anthony never asks any difficult questions. He always just gives me easy ones. What if your significant other backslides while you are together? Does that mean you should break up or can you make that work? Well, I haven't broke up with my wife yet. And so some of y'all saw that coming and started laughing even before I got to the punchline. Um, I don't think that you need to break up with Miranda yet, my brother. I think you need to, <clears throat> I think you need to give her a few more years. You know, I, I think that she's going to come through this season of her life. Um, no, we take marriage very, very seriously. And when you stood before God and the, a company of the believers and you said for better or worse, if that's not going to mean something in the church, where are we expecting that to mean something? You understand what I'm saying? Let me say it this way. Nobody should suffer abuse. If you're being abused, I will help you get out of that relationship. Um, now, abuse doesn't mean you had a bad argument. I think, I think we can be sensible about that. Um, but that should not, you, you should not live in terror. Okay. Um, if you are cheated on by your spouse, you have a biblical Get out of jail free card. You don't have to keep trying. I didn't give you that get out of jail free. It sounds terrible to say it like that, but I'm, 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 I'm just having fun with this. You get to reevaluate your commitment because what they have done is they basically showed you um, how they have valued it. Now, this is hard because um, I, I, I'm going to be I'm going to be straight and then I'm going to be kind. OK, here's the straight. Biblically, they get to reassess. They do. It's not my it's biblical. However, I'm going to say to the person reassessing, how can you want grace for yourself and be unwilling to give grace to someone you say you love? And so I'm always going to try to reconcile relationships. But just speaking biblically, these are, this is, I'm shooting straight with you. I'm over my time. Um, let me go to the final question here. Um, I have heard more than one apostolic sister say there are no apostolic men in the church to date. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Nothing like a single young person to have self-pity. Um, I love you. Um, just stop it already. No. There, there are no apostolic men in the church that you are physically, psychologically, and emotionally attracted to. That's not the same thing. So quit speaking doubt and start speaking faith. It'll be good practice for in the future when you think you found the right one and you find out living with them is actually crazy hard, okay? Uh, and you'll have to speak faith then and not negativity. So start practicing speaking faith now. 
uh, and saying and not saying things like that. There are men and women in the church. Um, there may not be any nearby that you have found that you have discovered. Um, but don't 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 make it harder than it is, and certainly don't go spreading that kind of um, a doubt. Um, it's just another form of self pity. Look, look, come on. Um, let, let's not do that. That said, when I was young and single, I said that. So you see how I was judgmental earlier and now I'm confessional. I said the same thing because I was young, single, insecure, and self-pitying. And I thought I would never find the right one. And, um, I, I, I get it. So I love you. I'm on your side. Please follow my advice and date people who share not just faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they share your passion to live out the book of Acts experience. That's my request. That said, um, if you are dating outside of the, the, the apostolic, um, there's going to be a certain set of trials. I, I'm a little afraid for you. I am. I've seen it. I've seen it work out surprising ways. I've seen it. I've seen it go bad. I'm a little afraid for you, but I love you and I'm not willing to banish you from the household of faith because you are fighting your own battles of loneliness and desire to be with other people. I'm on your side. I'm committed to you. I will look you right in the eye and tell you, I think that was a dumb idea. And then I'll give you the biggest hug you've ever got in your life. I, I, I too, I too wrestle and every one of our pastors wrestle with this tension of what, who we ought to be and who we are. And if you ever go to a church where they're not honest about that, then, then, then I don't know, you can decide what to do for yourself, but this is the way, this is the striving. This is why we have spiritual disciplines. This is why we pray. This is why we fast because we're striving to be, toward the Lord, toward the kingdom of God. Um, if you're dating an unbeliever and you sense in him or her a contempt, a dismissiveness, a mocking toward the things of God, please use this opportunity as one of the greatest opportunities of your life to stand up and say, if I have to choose between you and my savior, I promise you, I will die single and happy. I will never choose you over my faith in Jesus Christ. And if you won't do that, you've made that person Lord in your life. All right. So that's enough. I got to quit. Um, how am I doing? Uh, was there any questions in the other room? Okay, we're good. Um, I love you all. I want you to know um, this is complicated and difficult. Um, I want our single adults to know I have risked the criticism of many of our brethren who would hear me teach this in order to show you that I don't have a misguided view of how difficult your path can be. I have risked their approbation to let all the single adults know in our church that I believe in you. Our pastoral staff believes in you. We love you. We want you to have the path of least resistance, but we're not willing to throw you out of the household of spiritual embrace just because in some way you have missed the mark. Because if we start throwing out people who have missed the mark, 
there's going to be nobody in the church. So, all right, let's pray together. And then I'm going to um, get you out of here. Lord Jesus, I pray for your help for all of the single believers uh, that are in first church community that are striving to, 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 to serve you, striving to um, honor you. They do face loneliness. They do wonder where they fit in the whole dating mind game. It can be such a devastating and toxic place. The first thing I want to pray for all our singles is I pray you would give them the confidence of your presence. Um, teach them to lean back upon the promises of God and say, you're going to work on my behalf, Lord. You're going to lead me. You're going to guide me. You will open the door when it's time. I'm not going to simply date to scratch my back or satiate the lust of my flesh. That is a toxic path of uh, creating wounds in my present and in my future that have to be dealt with. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to endeavor to be pure. I'm going to endeavor to date smart, and I'm going to trust you. Secondly, Lord, I'd like you to give all of our single um, believers wisdom into personality, the personality of the people they're dating. Lord, it's so easy for us to be infatuated and to project onto a person what we want them to be thus blinding ourselves to see what they actually are right in front of us. And we are masters of telling the biggest lies to ourselves, telling the biggest lies to ourselves. Lord, we need your help, your blessing, your wisdom in order not to deceive ourselves. I pray that you would, lastly, you would lead them if it is in your will for them to find that right person. Would you open that door? Would you lead them? Would you let them, even in this season of their life, testify of your mercy and your goodness? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One thing I wanna be clear on before I let you go, I do not advocate dating if you're not ready to be in a relationship. If you are not ready to seriously consider consider uh, marriage, um, I do not think you should be dating because all it is is temptation. Like Paul said, it's the fire of hell burning burning right in the middle of that date. <laughs> um, um, if you're not ready for a marriage relationship, don't date. Because if you take the same view of people in the world and dating is just a way to scratch your back without any respect to the consequences of the future and the wounds of the future and the, how shall we say, the embarrassment that will potentially be with a future spouse. Um, don't, don't date if you're not looking for a really relationship. Don't toy with other people. Don't date because it's fun. You can have fun going out with friends. Actually, a lot of times you can have more fun going out in groups. Don't toy with people. If you're not ready for a relationship, especially you men, let me just say this to all the single men. If you're not ready to seriously consider a relationship, stop dating. Don't be another junkyard dog running around the neighborhood and then saying, you know, oh, by the way, I'm also a Christian. Don't, don't date to scratch your back. If you're not ready for a relationship, stop dating. All right, enough of that. Love you. I've went on enough. I'm going to let you all 
Uh, I'm going to turn the mics back on. I'm going to let you uh, greet one another if you would like to do that. And uh, holy moly, I, I did not know what all I was getting into um, when I got onto this subject, but it, it hopefully helped somebody. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.